Hey y'all, welcome to the Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast brought to you by Second Day. My name is Maria Mathine, and every other week I'm sitting down with people who are building careers working on our community's biggest challenges. And we're using this space to not only prove that it is possible to build a career that allows you to do good for the world and do well for yourself, but to also demystify how to make that happen for social impact job seekers everywhere. This week was a really fun one, really interesting. I have been curious about food systems and sustainability for a long time. And so Andrea Chu was an incredible guide through what that industry looks like right now and her experience within it. She believes that building more resilient food systems can solve many of society's challenges and has spent her career working towards just that. Andrea serves as director of Impact and ESG at Vital Farms and supports the company's environmental and social impact strategy. She's worked across the value chain from developing sustainability and responsible sourcing programs at Cargill and the Campbell Soup Company to influencing food companies with the Environmental Defense Fund with a few seasons working on farms. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to chat with you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And I think there's like so many levels to what I'm excited to talk about today. I feel like sustainable food solutions are really interesting and fascinating to me, but also I'm sure you'll share more, but it's a really, really urgent issue as well. And from the outside, it looks like there's a lot of sort of resources and money and like innovation being thrown at this. I think there, as of this recording yesterday, I saw a new story that um, meat that's been grown in a lab is, you know, going to get FDA approved. So like big things are happening around that. Um, And I'm curious to hear sort of for you, what first drew you into this work? Was it intentional or did you sort of stumble into it and really fall in love with it? Yeah. So I think for a lot of, I would say a lot of like first-gen immigrant families, food is always at the center of a lot of life. You know, that's how you stay connected to your culture and build community around. So I think that social aspect has always been a really kind of at the core of who I, who I am. And that just kind of, as I went to college and had experiences, I felt like a lot of challenges that we talked about society was became really framed up through food, right? And it became, it was a way that people could, an entry point into how people talk about certain issues from climate change to worker empowerment to food and nutrition, um, poverty alleviation, all of these issues really come together around food. And so it just became like a really, a really, as I said, like a really interesting entry point into how we could solve a lot of these issues and also just a really strong connection point for people to get invested in solving a lot of these problems. And, and that's kind of how it was for me. No, I totally relate to that. Um, you know, I immediately thought of my dad who um, only ever wants to eat Indian food, no matter where in the world he is, he needs to find an Indian restaurant. Um, but he's also been trying to cut down on his meat, but he loves kebab. And so I'm thinking about like, oh, a world in which we have really good meatless options for my Indian dad, who is not just going to eat tofu every day. That's just not how he was raised. He just doesn't understand that. So I think, yeah, the food piece is so personal. Um, I think to your point, particularly for those who grew up in these sorts of households. So I love that, that, that deeply resonates with me. And so we'll move through like all the various phases of your journey that you've had, but sort of starting in the present, I'd love to hear a little bit about the work you do now at Vital Farms 
How did you first learn about Vital Farms and what kind of drew you to that work in particular? Yeah. So um, I've been with Vital Farms for a little more than a year now. I am their director of impact and ESG. So I oversee our B Corp certification process, our ESG reporting. So what we put out to all of our stakeholders so that and then uh, earlier this year, we announced our first set of impact goals. So how we're going to make progress around environmental social issues. And so a lot of my work is now how do we build the cross-functional teams to successfully achieve those goals around climate change, around regenerative agriculture, around diversity, equity, inclusion. And I came to Vital Farms as a fan and consumer. I mean, their packaging, their storytelling, branding is just really, it really jumps out to you at a on the shelf. And I was really excited about the opportunity to work for a company that was founded with mission and purpose at the center and a company that was thinking about the protein sector in a really different way, especially coming from Cargill, you know, the, one of the largest agribusinesses in the world. And before that at the Campbell Soup Company, these are kind of really traditional companies that have really bought into kind of like the standard industry practice and was all about moving that industry practice forward, but not quite as much leeway to really, I don't love the word like being disruptive, but kind of just thinking about the protein sector in a really different way and say like, what if we set this really high standard? How far can we go with this really high standard instead of kind of working our way up to that high standard? Actually, when you say that, what I am sort of realizing, and I think it's what makes the space, one of the many things that makes that space really fun is all the brands and all of the vibes of all of these sustainable food companies are so joyful. Like, I really feel like there is like a deep joy in the work that y'all have and in the, in the products that you're creating, which I think is, it's interesting. I talked to so many people in social impact. And we all care deeply about what we do and we're passionate about it. But there is, I feel like sometimes a lot of cynicism and, and darkness and, and, and sadness that sometimes carries some parts of the sector. And from the outside, it feels like the, the food space is much more joyful and forward looking in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering if you, if you find that that is true, or if maybe that's just misguided because the branding is really pretty and it it looks like everything's all, you know, everyone's really positive and things are moving in a good direction. But do you have moments where like it, the work is frustrating or the mission like doesn't show up in the way that you want it to, or you feel cynical or jaded? Do you have those moments in sustainable food as well? Oh yeah. All the time. I think it's, it's really easy to get kind of sucked into one, inertia, but then also just like the doom and anxiety of a lot of how big a lot of these problems are. Obviously, climate change is looming over all of us and, you know, we experience it every every day, it seems like now. But I, th- I, th- I think to work in this space in general, you have to be an inherent optimist to, to think that there's a solution to it, right? And to want to work on these problems. And I do think one of the things that's really exciting about the food sector is, you know, it's often touted as one of the leading protein, for example, meat production, one of the leading contributors to climate change and all of these challenges. 
And it's also a potential solution, right? You think about a lot of the innovation that's occurring just even around increasing grassland grazing and what that potential is for carbon sequestration or a lot of new operations that are trying to implement agroforestry. And so being able to kind of implement a lot of these new practices that are much more solutions oriented instead of and shifting the mindset away from being purely an extractive industry. Yeah. And I mean, what strikes me as you're talking is that food is unique in a way that like, it's really easy for all of us to wrap our minds around because day to day, we all consume it in some way and we all understand it. We all have maybe different relationships with food, but we can, we can understand it. We can understand the need to have food on the table. So there's two pieces that I'd love to get your thoughts on and unpack a little bit. So one is that food is a human right, but it is also a consumer good. It is like a product. It is a thing we sell. It is a thing we try and market and get people to buy. And I'm curious, like how you have seen that tension in food in particular, right? It's, I mean, we see it a little bit with housing and and some other spaces, but I think food to me feels like a very clear, like you put this price tag on a human right. And like, how do you balance uh, how do you balance that? How do you show up with that tension and how have you seen it kind of show up in this work? I mean, Vital Farms eggs are the most likely the most expensive egg on your grocery store shelf. But you think about how everything else in the grocery store is, is priced, right? It's not taking into account those externalities and negative impacts down the line, right? The pollution of kind of concentrated animal feed operations and the impacts that has on a lot of horror communities and the health of those communities. That's not being built into that price. So it is, I think it's a little bit challenging to just think of it as if you want a food that's better in XYZ ways, it's just going to be more expensive. I think there's like this whole system around, and this is where I'm getting out of like out of my depths of my expertise. But if you think about like the cost of healthcare and food. Like there's a really strong, really interesting kind of nut to crack there in terms of if we make fresh food more available, it may be more expensive, but we may be reducing the cost of healthcare down down the road, things like that. So thinking about it more than just like this one singular transaction that we have. No, that's really helpful. And I think the second piece, which is something you've already touched on a little bit, but it's like the scale of the need is so big, right? Because you've got billions of people on the planet who need to eat every day. So we've talked about healthcare. I mentioned housing. Like, There's a lot of these things that are like terrifyingly large issues. And like you said, like you have to be a little bit of an optimist. I think a little nuts to do what we do, which is like, yeah, for sure. Maybe a little deluded. <laughs> Yeah, just like slightly diluted because I find that when I talk to people who don't work in the space, they're like, they just, they think it's a little nuts what we all do, but that's kind of why I love it. So, so I'm curious, like how your personal theory of change has evolved over time and how you sort of see your role in this work or, and maybe it continues to evolve, but I'm curious sort of like how you think about your place in such a large ecosystem and what advice you would give to people who are trying to navigate that. And we'll we'll get into some of the specifics of some of the past places that you've worked and how you've developed some of these lessons. But yeah, I'm curious to hear sort of your your theory of change on something that is just so daunting in so many ways. 
Yeah, one of the things that I, I think about sometimes as well, I must be to your point or to what I said, a little, a little crazy, a little nuts to think that just me as one person amidst one company amongst a whole industry can make a difference. But I think then there ties in the optimism of like, we all need to start. It starts with individual action, right? I started out my career thinking about like, these are really big problems to solve. Where can I have the biggest impact and where will always thinking about the scale of an operation, right? Um, And I've sort of shifted that mindset in terms of I need to work at the biggest company. And if I can change that organization, it'll have this gigantic ripple effect. That was like a really exciting, that was a really exciting opportunity for me. And as I worked in those spaces and just came up against a lot of different types of challenges and just like, you know, moving a big ship takes a really long time. I kind of wanted to get back to the being able to prove out a different model sort of idea, show that like vital fires, we may be a lot smaller, but there's a lot that we can just our existence, I think, and like our constant growth. We've been growing like 20, more than 20% every quarter for the last few years, which is a really strong contrast to kind of the big CPGs that are just looking to get maybe one to 2% growth um, every year. So just our kind of expansion on shelf and growing our brand, bringing more farmers into our network, that has been incredibly rewarding. And I think also a little bit for me personally, a little bit more emotionally satisfying at this point in time in my life. No, that makes sense. You're closer to seeing the impact of your work. I think I worked at Chase Bank a thousand years ago, and it is the largest retail bank in the US. And so when you talk about like moving a big ship, I totally relate to that. I actually, when I was interviewing for that job, I remember um, the person who eventually became my manager was like, I can tell you like to move fast and you like things to happen. And I just want to tell you right now, it's going to take two years to like move a button, right? Like that's kind of how it goes here. And I very naively at like 24 was like, I can do it. I can change everything. And then you get there and you're like, oh, this is deeply bureaucratic. But I also learned a lot about how these companies think from the inside. And so I'm curious for you, like you mentioned Cargill and um, Campbell, what are some of the things that you sort of learned that have served you? What are some of the insights you got into the food space working at such large companies for a while? I really learned the power of patience and influence and understanding at these big companies who is actually making the decisions. Coming into the corporate sustainability world, I think I thought I was like, oh, I'll be able, not me personally, but like my team or the chief sustainability officer, he's gonna, he or she's gonna set the agenda and everyone else will follow, right? Super, super naive. In working at Campbell, for example, I first sat on our corporate sustainability team and then moved into procurement where I uh, worked on the responsible sourcing program. And from there, seeing how much influence category managers and buyers have in just kind of that day-to-day interaction with our suppliers, 
they don't have sustainability in their title and name at all. But I worked with some buyers who were just personally passionate and what the conversations that they were able to move forward and elevate to the people who do make decisions, bringing those options to the table, they they were able to move the conversation 10 times faster than I could. And so when I think back on when I was in college thinking about the kinds of jobs I wanted to have and things like that, I wish I hadn't been so myopically focused on, I need to have like sustainability as a formal part of my job description or my title, but thinking about how maybe working in supply chain as, you know, a supply planner and just learning the ins and outs of inventory could start to move move the needle in, in that role as well. I totally agree with that, right? I, I think that sometimes, and, you know, we at Second Day can fall into this trap as well, but kind of looking for a certain title or a certain type of company or organization to say they are doing good work. To your point, like there are so many people who have influence and who make the on the ground decisions that are really important that you may not see or may not know exist, right? So if you're a college student, you probably, yeah, have not, don't really understand supply chain or understand that Campbell's soup has a whole procurement process in which like a buyer can make a decision that is going to make, you know, you won't have that sort of view. And so the advice that comes up for me that I would offer people based on that is go out and like try stuff see what is going on at these companies, at these organizations, and you'll start to surface to to your point where the power and where the influence is. I think a lot of people put a ton of pressure on themselves to know exactly the kind of job they need to have or exactly the kind of impact they need to make like right out of the gate. And I think this is a really good example of there's so many layers to this and you're going to discover as you go. And it's okay to like continue to refine as you go. So that's just my very brief soapbox on that, but I just think it's really important for people to to understand that there's so many ways to do this work and you're not going to know on day one how to do that either. Exactly. And I think about my, when I moved from Campbell to Cargill, one of the things that was really exciting for me about that move to Cargill was I was going to be embedded in the business, right? Instead of being a kind of more overarching support function, even though I think just bringing in sustainability or support function into itself. But the fact that I was embedded in the business, working with our marketing leads, and they're the ones who kind of really own the PL and can really drive those decisions. I would say in general, like marketing teams at CPGs are where the big, where you have the most influence because you Again, you own the balance sheet and can make decisions on, I want to spend a little bit more money on this premium ingredient here versus here. So for anyone listening who is who wants that little nugget, being a brand manager is a really influential way to go. I had no idea. I didn't know that. I had no idea about that in college. So I would definitely echo your statement of just, that's kind of how I feel like I've navigated my career is not necessarily around roles, but around learning different types of organizations. So from a big CPG to a more B2B company like Cargill, where a lot of our work is driven by the Campbells, the Hershey's, the General Mills of the world as we figure out how to supply them. And then now I I realized that I really missed working on a consumer-facing brand and having that connection direct to our supply chain. And so that's how I ended up here at Vital. That's amazing. And 
I guess as you think about, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the exciting things happening in the space. What are some of the things happening in the world of sustainability and food that are getting you really excited these days? Give us some of the highlights of what people in your industry are talking a lot about. Well, definitely the cultivated meats and proteins is a hot button topic. I think there is also, I think that can really dominate the conversation, but there's a lot of really sort of a lot of really interesting conversation around. It's really not sexy term for it, but like blended meats. So like putting more mushrooms in or meat alternatives mixed in, maybe that's a kebab that your dad would find more amenable. (laughs) There's a lot of that, definitely that conversation. I think the other piece that's just really dominated eggs in particular is around earlier this year, there was the phenomenon of eggflation. And with that comes a lot of conversation around how consolidated our protein industry is, where less than four companies own the supply chain. And just, I, I hope the general consumer, or at least like the public is becoming aware of how risky that is. Uh, we saw a lot of those shortages during COVID and again with avian influenza. So seeing how how vulnerable even consumers are to just how consolidated our industry currently is and really shining a light on the need for more true competition out there. And I guess for people who want to explore this space more, I guess a specific question I have is in your industry, was the fact that you had Cargill and Campbell's on your resume sort of something that made a really big difference? Do you think that this is a space that values people who start in more traditional CPG brands and then migrate in? Do you find that people sort of come from all over? Do people come from other industries entirely and bring in their expertise? Curious what sort of entry points you might offer for people who are curious to get involved. I think it really depends on the stage of the company. Vital Farms, we've been around for 15 years now. And when they're first founded, I think with a lot of startups, it's people coming from all different, all different backgrounds, probably more entrepreneurial, more startup backgrounds. And then over the last two years, um, Vials hired more, we call ourselves like big food refugees. Uh, a lot of us, there's some of us who came from more traditional like Kraft Heinz uh, or PepsiCo. It's a little bit more of that traditional background. I think it's really, there's a little bit more openness for a younger company for people from different backgrounds. Um, It's really kind of fun at Vital where people kind of seek the company out who want to work here. Um, And again, a lot of them are consumers and and fans of the brand and then want to come work here like myself. Um, So it's, it's a little bit of, it kind of sucks to think about, like, as we become a more established brand, we're becoming a little bit more, I guess, looking for more of that traditional skill set from the sector. I mean, it makes sense. But I think, you know, sort of to what we've been saying, there is a lot of innovation happening in the space. There's a lot of new companies and new products that are popping up. So do you have any advice for people who are like trying to keep a pulse on like, like the latest things popping up? Are there like newsletters or websites or like blogs or like, I don't know, 
podcasts that you think are helpful at keeping up to date on what's happening in sustainability and food systems and that sort of thing? Yes. So the, I would say the two most helpful resources that I had just as I was trying, I like, as you said, keep tabs on what's happening on the industry. When I was thinking about where I wanted to go next, I would just kind of bookmark cool companies that I saw would come up and just check their jobs page periodically. But I would say those two newsletters are Food Tank and Food Tech Connect. So Food Tank is very much more on tackling a broad range of issues, a little bit more research-oriented, more policy-type news, whereas Food Tech Connect is definitely more on the innovation. They do a really great roundup of what's happening in ag, restaurants, CPG, and just kind of general consumer consumer goods space and between those two it gives you a really good snapshot on what's on what's going on like I was just reading it's really interesting to see kind of the I don't want to call it collapse but a lot of vertical farming is facing a lot of challenges right now um and that's just kind of it's kind of interesting just to see that life cycle of intense VC funding and then they grow really fast and now a lot of them can't really support how fast they grow when it's kind of a, it's just interesting to have tracked that particular part of the food innovation. Yeah, I I think that's a lot of what I also find really interesting about this space is that it is almost exclusively a for-profit space, which makes total sense. And so seeing how investment dollars and being VC backed and all of these things add a really crazy layer to like vertical farming kind of collapsing a little bit. I don't know the details as well as you do, but like, yeah, part of the pressure of being VC backed and, and growing really fast is these things can fall apart. So I'm curious, particularly since you do B Corp certification and you're working on like the ESG and impact metrics on your end, thinking about the growth of a company and making sure that impact is really meaningfully baked in, but then also that extra dimension of if you have investors at play and they want to see growth at any cost and that type of thing, like how do you see all of those things kind of interacting in your day-to-day? That's like the conversation that I'm having. I think when we talk about any new project we want, it's it's balancing that we have to, as a publicly traded company, we report our quarterly earnings, but then also such a core part of our of who we are is about building that long-term resiliency for all of our stakeholders. That's what makes us at Vital Farms unique, right? And and so it's kind of making sure that we both sides are present at every kind of decision-making juncture. And I think this is where the really kind of unsexy part of companies of governance comes in, right? Uh, We are a, Vital Farms is a public benefit corporation. So with that designation. That's our charter as a company. And it's written in that we have to provide these public XYZ benefits to society. And that includes around our annual welfare standards and our commitment to our employees and to bringing transparent food to consumers. And so that kind of really grounds us And then our B Corp certification provides that extra kind of insurance every three years as we recertify to make sure that we are continuing to hit those benefits. So it's a little bit of a, as I said, kind of a a checks and and balance system in place 
to make sure that we are still staying true um, to our to our mission, but then also continuing to grow um, and putting those in meeting our shareholder investor expectations. But it's it's really tough with a lot of these VC backed startups where especially when a lot of them come from more of a tech background where they don't understand the margins of food are just so much slimmer. I talked to a lot of friends who have moved from food into pharma, for example, where we just talk about how the gross margin expectations and if like my one friend is telling me in pharma, if they have a product that is meeting a gross margin of a certain percent, it gets cut right away. It gets discontinued. And that number that she mentioned is what we hope in the food industry that we can hit, you know, every every quarter. So um, just having that understanding of expectation from kind of your, whether it is your VC firm or your investors, making sure they understand the landscape of what they're getting into, I think is really, really important. I would imagine that also shapes a lot of the culture of, I mean, we know this in lots of industries, this is not a food thing, but this is generally like how your leadership is thinking about growth and who the investors are behind you. That's going to shape a lot of what the culture of a place is. So as people are interviewing and like trying to, you know, identify companies that they might be interested in, just keeping an eye to that, keeping an eye to what are the growth goals? What is the culture of, yeah, the culture of how you want this company to expand and what the level of, shall we say, um, ambition is. Um, Ambition is an amazing thing. I think I've also just been listening to too many podcasts about Sam Bankman fried lately, um, which is a cautionary tale if there ever was one. <laughs> truly, it's it's fascinating. This is such a tangent, but like his whole thing was effective altruism when he started. And so it's really interesting to hear that this entrepreneur started with these, theoretically, I wasn't in his head, but he claims these very, very positive intentions and how things can kind of fall apart. So this is true in any industry. And I would say for people who are particularly looking to do social impact in the for-profit sector, there's a lot of red flags to just keep an eye out for for yourself that kind of come with navigating that space. So that's a little bit of a side note, but just something that I was thinking about as you were talking. No, for sure. As as you were talking about thinking about the level of ambition of a company, I think a really good gauge is understanding if the leadership of the organization, if the employees at the organization, how connected they are to the mission and purpose because that is one of the first things to go as you grow and it becomes that much harder to maintain as as you grow and so making sure again those checks and balances are in place and and those checks and balances could be people right if there are employees who have been there for many years and have that historic knowledge of of what makes the company special. Like that can be just as powerful. No, I I completely agree. I feel like as people interview or kind of explore careers, really trusting your gut on who are the people you would trust to work with every day. Like who is giving you the vibe that they truly care? I feel like if someone sat across from you, as I've been able to in this conversation, would able to be able to see that you you genuinely care about vital farms and about the mission and doing right by the consumer and the business um, and the world, um, which is such a cheesy thing to say. But I, yeah, I really, I really do think that trusting your instinct and talking to people and thinking about who is the leadership 
who I feel would guide this work. I think that's one of the most critical things you can, can look for. And the other sort of unsolicited advice I, I have is just with every new organization or every new role, just think about the, instead of thinking about it as like, this is my end point, what are the skills or knowledge I'm going to learn? And again, I had no idea this is like where I always knew I wanted to work at the intersection of food and social and environmental impact, but I didn't know it would take me to these types of companies. And I wouldn't trade any step of the way at all, just because I I learned about massive supply chains, but then also learning about the role of an environmental NGO and how they play in this space. And just a lot of the skills that I've learned, it was always about like, what new skills am I going to learn in this role rather than is this going to take me where I'm I'm going to go? And I think that I, I totally understand that pressure of needing to continuing to kind of build that resume or feel like your, your titles are going in the right direction. But it's with, you know, seven, 10 years under my belt <laughs> of my career, it's a lot easier to kind of look back and find those to draw to draw that career career map if you just think about what are kind of the skills and what you've learned along the way, if that makes any sense. That makes a ton of sense. And that feels like such a wonderful way to wrap this conversation. And I hope people really reflect on how that advice applies in the food space, but truly in every space. So um, Andrea, thank you so much for giving your time and your insight into this work and very grateful to know you and be in conversation with you today. Likewise, I think what you do at Second Day is incredible. I've shared this with you before, but I leveraged Second Day as I was looking at types of organizations and just learning what types of roles are out there in this space. Really helpful just to kind of read through job descriptions and get an understanding of what companies are expecting in different spaces and It's just been really, really cool to see how much these resources like Second Day have just exploded since I've graduated from college Um, and just the um, how much people are looking for careers in impact spaces like that's that's the most affirming and optimistic thing for me. y'all before we wrap up this episode i wanted to share that we are going on a summer hiatus taking a little bit of a break focusing on a lot of big projects happening at second day so we have lots of episodes for you to revisit or check out for the first time so thank you all for listening and being so supportive of this podcast and i hope you have a wonderful summer and i will catch you on the other side The Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast is brought to you by Second Day, an organization fighting to make social impact careers more accessible to all by dismantling inequitable talent pipelines into mission-driven industries. To learn more, go to secondday.org. I'd like to thank my producer, Mai Vo, for her incredible work in making this episode possible. Music used in this podcast is titled Blessed Time by Ketza. It can be found on the free music archive under the Creative Commons license. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe. It makes a really, really big difference to our community. 